Hi, and welcome to the Women in Archaeology podcast, a podcast about, for, and by women in the field. My name is Chelsea Slotten, and I'm joined by Emily Long. We'll be your hosts for the episode. Today, we're going to be chatting about looting, like what it is, why people do it, when they do it, uh, and why you shouldn't loot. (laughs) Just don't do it. (laughs) Right? First and most important point of the podcast episode, don't loot. Yeah. It's not, don't, it like, don't get confused. We're not telling you to not play like a semi guitar type instrument. We're telling you not to dig up the past. If, if you don't have a permit or you're not an archaeologist or all that stuff, like, just don't do it. Yeah. So, so let's start with like what, what looting is, right? And we, we have talked about this a little bit on a previous episode that we'll link to with Dr. Tommy Yates. Um, but looting is basically taking something from an archaeological site that you don't have permission to be excavating um, or taking anything from. So uh, this can this can take a lot of different guises, right? Mm-hmm. Is what we are going to talk about in the first section, which is um, what a lot of people probably think about when they uh, think about like archaeological looting, which is you know someone going and like digging something up in the depths of the night or crawling into a pyramid and taking something away. Um, but, you know, this we're going to talk about kind of modern day looting mm-hmm. um, in this framework. And then we'll go on and we'll talk about another type of looting, which has been in the news a bit recently, um, which is looting for salvage or for material, which is happening um, in, there was a um, the Malaysian authorities detained um, a ship back mm-hmm. in May who was accused of this. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit about looting historically as well. Mm-hmm. Um, We've got, there's all kinds of looting and yeah, like what Chelsea's talking about, where we're, what we're starting with. Let's say you are on a delightful trip to Italy and you're wandering around the ruins of Pompeii. You're like, oh, wow, look at all this nifty stuff. I wish I had a piece of Pompeii in my home. And you look down and you're like, oh, look, there's a piece of an amphora or, you know, a piece of glass. Wow. And you pick it up, you put it in your pocket and you take it home. May not seem that nefarious, but at the end of the day, you are looting. And it doesn't matter if you're an archaeologist. If I went to Pompeii and did that, still looting. Um, And it's taking a piece of the past. And it is wrong because you're taking away from, like, taking a puzzle piece that is part of the much larger puzzle of the site. Yeah. And so I think this is a really great point, Emily. Like, why, why shouldn't you loot, right? And a lot of what it comes down to... Um, and, and like some of it depends on what it is you're taking, right? Like, um, there are people who loot cemeteries and like, that is so gross. Don't do it. Uh, it is like deeply morally and ethically bad. (laughs) Yeah. It just, just, I, people, people have asked me before, like, aren't you interested in like human remains? I'm like, you know, academically, but it's not like I want some pieces of people in my home. That's just the heebie-jeebies and ethically and more yeah it's just bad yeah right and i i say this is a bioarchaeologist right someone who studies skeletons like you need approval you need consent you need consultation the, consultation you need to talk to the impacted people that don't don't do it right it's not good to have literal skeletons in your closet 
No, absolutely not. It's morally and ethically bad, particularly, you know, some, some archaeological material more than others. But the other thing about removing um, objects from an archaeological site is they're the evidence that archaeologists use to figure out what happened in the past. Um, we know that we don't have a, a full picture anyways, right? The puzzle is always going to be missing some pieces mm-hmm. because some things don't preserve, right? Wood, textiles, organic materials do not preserve as well as, say, stone, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we And that definitely gives a skewed version of the past. And so any piece that's taken really takes away from the full picture. And people might say, well, it's only one piece of pottery. But if everybody does that, then there won't be any pottery left. And we're missing a major part about the everyday life of the people we're studying. That is the impact, right? Is that you are removing our ability to figure out what happened um, in the past and, and that everyday life. And by all means, we're not trying to say that people are like intentionally doing this. We realize a lot of it is just people aren't necessarily um, familiar with the laws or don't think it's a big idea or don't understand what's going on. Um, It is also worth mentioning that there are uh, laws, depending on where Mm -hmm. you are, Um, the laws will be different. That, you know, if you get caught doing this, um, you can get fined, you can get jail time. Mm-hmm. And ignorance is not an excuse, right? Walking up in front of a judge and being like, well, I didn't know I wasn't allowed to do it. It's not a good excuse. And also a lot of these sites have literature and signs in multiple languages saying like, don't take anything. So yeah, they're... you could even claim ignorance, but it's like, were you just blind? What's going on? Yeah, there's there's a lot of don't don't just don't do it, right? Read read signs, right? When you go to sites, read read the signs that tell you not to do the things. Exactly. Uh, I actually recently went to Inchcombe Island, which is in Scotland, with signs everywhere around. Um, there were birds that were um, having their young who roost Aww. on the island, and there are signs everywhere about like don't don't go near the birds' nests. Um, and let me tell you, when the visitors to the island did not pay attention, they got swooped on and they got pecked at and they had some very, um, stinky (laughs) droppings, um, you know, missiled at their heads. (laughs) The birds will let you know that it, that it's wrong, but like, just because we don't have birds tell you not to do it, uh, you still shouldn't be doing it. It's a shame there aren't like poltergeists you know at each site that just like <laughs> throw you know chunks of i don't know castle walls pottery what have you and just be like no yeah <laughs> like, we're not doing this off. but yeah but just for people's familiarity um like in the united states we have the archaeological resources and protection act that protects archaeological sites we have nagpra the native american graves protection repatriation act that helps protect um, native american graves and um, funerary objects and that kind of thing there are international laws um, that go through um, the united nations unesco each country tends to have its own heritage programs and laws and so generally speaking it's not okay to take something and yeah yeah. (laughs) Um, and I mean, there was last year, there was a British tourist who was um, sentenced to 15 years wow. in a jail in Iraq. 
that sentence has been been overturned. Oh, sorry. There are other countries where people do see see jail time and, and hefty fines. Um, so yeah, don't do it, but there are museums in like even in Italy that will have um, displays of returned artifacts. They do, yeah, and they often display them with the notes that that accompany them, right? So there's, it's like the I'm sorry displays, and sometimes it's just notes with the word I'm sorry written on it. Um, You also get ones of people being like, oh, I I took this 35 years ago when I visited as a child, and I was five, and I didn't realize it was a problem, and my parents didn't stop me. Um, And now I'm an adult, and I know it's a problem, and I'm like, please take it back. Great. Return things. Um, absolutely. Yes. But we've lost the context, right? We don't know where it's from. We don't know what where it fits in the puzzle, um, which is not a reason to keep things. You should absolutely return them. Um, but it is better to leave them. Not take it in the first place, but it is also good to return stuff. Yeah. <laughs> which can also get into a big conversation about repatriation of stuff taken during colonial periods as well. But that's a whole other... Yeah. That's a whole Ooh, other way. Empires and museums. We get there. We get there <laughs> later. Um, there are also some people who've sent notes saying that they've had bad luck ever since mm-hmm. they took it. Um, That's so a very these... common one for the National Park Service. Um, people taking stuff from like Chaco Canyon, Mesa Verde, and people being like, I've had bad luck ever since. And got to return this piece of pottery, this piece of a wall, etc. Yeah. Um so that that comes into the oh you had a good word for it earlier it's not inadvertent yeah yeah that covers the like the the bit of like inadvertent uh present day looting uh you still shouldn't do it just right now you know it's bad don't do it exactly um that's going to be the the moral (laughs) of this i think we need a sticker just don't do it you know but but there is another side of it which is I think both both more intentional and also darker. Mm-hmm. There is absolutely a black market um, for looted antiquities. Mm-hmm. Um, the the kind of desire to have a little bit of the past is not individual. I think it's something that a lot of humans feel, and some humans who have enough money and enough power um, are very willing to pay to get what it is they they want. Mm-hmm. They are outsourcing. They. Um, the crime funding it in a sense um and they're yes they're funding it and often often for not very much money so they they did you see it a lot in countries that don't have great economies where there's a lot of poverty a lot of upheaval and uh, a lot of unemployment and you know if you're starving and someone comes and says hey i'll pay you a hundred dollars if you go chip a bit of this mosaic you know, out of, out of the site or whatever, or if you go dig something up, if it's that or starve, you know, a lot of people will, will do that. And, and to be perfectly like clear, I am not blaming these people. They, they do often get, um, if they get caught, they get very harsh prison sentences when in actuality, the people who are at fault are the people who are funding it. They tend to be high profile enough and rich enough that they don't get in trouble, which I think is deeply problematic. Mm -hmm. It's very, very rare that those the people who buy the items get in trouble. And um, there's a fascination with the American West for a lot of Europeans and a lot of um, artifacts that are traced from, that were looted from, like, uh, 
burial grounds um, that are ancestral Puebloan, um, that kind of thing. Uh, Membres pottery, Maguillon pottery, these very popular types of things that are sold um, internationally on the black market tend to be going to like German um, uh, buyers. And so, yeah, that's just this fascination with a, a, something that didn't happen in their own country and fascination with um, like a false narrative about, you know, the Native American West and that kind of thing and wanting a piece of it. Uh, and that's been an ongoing issue for a very, very, very long time where looters will take a um, bulldozer to burial mounds and literally just plow off the top of whatever would have been a, um, a building, um, you know, a midden, the trash mound and to get right to the burial and discard the bones or even sell the bones um, and get to like intact pottery. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a problem even in the United States. It is. And I mean, there was a, a case and granted, this is, this is 20 years ago, um, but it still gets talked about because it was quite a stiff sentence at the time. Um, there was a, a guy uh, from Oklahoma City um, who got three years and a hundred grand in restitution, and he was a first-time offender. Mm. Um, so this wasn't someone who, you know, uh, had been doing this for you know, for years. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it is something that even the U.S. people are are taking a lot more um, seriously. Oh, yeah. And there was a good example of more recent stuff like, um, or not, sorry, not recent, but just stories like in Albania, where there's like a continuing issue of shipwrecks, um, Greek and Roman shipwrecks being uh, illegally salvaged. But apparently, um, with the fall of the Soviet Union back in the 80s, that when um, the communist regime in Albania then fell, there was a huge uptick in illegal salvaging of these Roman and Greek uh, shipwrecks as well so yeah all over the place. well and and during the the financial crisis in greece they saw a huge uptick right. of first time um looters and it was people who you know didn't necessarily want to be looting but they had to pay rent or mm-hmm. buy formula for their baby or mm-hmm. you know bread or you know whatever whatever it was mm-hmm. um so that does also, unfortunately, happen. Um, one case, actually, where where there was some resolution, the um, and it isn't necessarily like a, a person, but the National Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., which is funded by, I believe, Hobby Lobby, or the guy who created Hobby Lobby, but they've gotten in quite a bit of trouble um, legally and have been forced to return things because they were you know, looted. It's not to say that you can't ever get um, dings if you are funding bad behavior. Exactly. It's like, again, don't do it. Go to a museum and enjoy yourself. Yeah. And again, as an archaeologist, it's so funny. People are like, well, don't you want a piece of the past? I'm like, no, I'm good. (laughs) I've got plenty of stuff. (laughs) Right. Not really, I don't really need that. Yeah. Um, which is not to say that all archaeologists have that, oh, that mentality. There are certainly um, archaeologists who do. And, and even if you do want, right, if, if you are desperate to have a bit of the past, like there are legal ways to go about doing it. Oh, exactly. 
<laughs> I just don't have engage I, in those. Exactly. I just don't feel the need to have a Roman statue in my my foyer. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I do have a um, not very high quality, but uh, nonetheless a Roman coin that my advisor uh, for my undergrad. I did a, a minor in classics, which was. Basically, I minored in this this one guy who was like a great professor, and I took every class he offered because uh, he was such a good professor. And lo and behold, Please do ah, uh, that was enough classes to get me a minor. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> um, but be- because I'd taken so many classes um, uh, with him, and he'd actually do classes um, uh, with him, and he'd actually be, like thrown his back out on an archaeological excavation. Um, so I, you know, helped like map some things, um, to, to the class and he was like very grateful. And when I graduated, he was like, you were a great student, have a not very expensive, uh, cause it wasn't high quality, but coin of Julian the Apostate. Oh, it's really fun. Random fact, my favorite Roman empire, emperor. Ooh, look it up folks. We'll link it in. <laughs> <laughs> very short serving, uh, the last pagan Roman empire, emperor. Oh. That's why I keep saying empire. Anyways. Got empire on the mind. Yes. Um, that does bring us about to the end of our um, 20 minutes. And so on that wonderful tangent, um, I think <laughs> I will leave loot. you. And we'll, right, don't loot. And we'll see you after the break to talk about um, salvage looting or looting for materials. Woohoo! Did you know that we have a blog? Check out the Women in Archaeology website for a variety of blog posts, as well as past episodes. Interested in supporting the podcast? From the website, you can check out our Patreon account and learn about the different ways to help support the blog and podcast. We can give you a cool sticker in return. Again, thank you for listening. Hi, and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. So far on today's episode, we have been discussing uh, looting. Um, we previously were talking about looting for the I want a bit of history um, <laughs> kind of reason. We're going to move on to talking about looting for salvage, um, you know, or looting for it. I guess it's a bit more like practical, right? Like, mm-hmm. Well, the end result is definitely you're not getting a nice piece of the past. It's literally that piece of the past is going to be recycled. Yeah, you're going to you know melt it down or reuse it for something or you know whatever it is Mm -hmm. so it's for practical purposes and money yes yes absolutely bad but that's the reasoning um and and i mean it it's worth noting that like this uh, the kind of salvage of like previous buildings um or ships uh which we're going to talk about in a minute has been going on for for quite a while, you do see a lot of reuse in the archaeological record, mm-hmm. um, where a stone tool that has broken maybe gets like re-chipped, and that might be by the person who made it, and it might not be. Um, or you've got a one thing that happens a lot in the UK is you've got old like Catholic, um, you know, churches or monasteries who when the Church of England and the Church of Scotland were created and this big shift away from Catholicism, um, most of these places were, were, you know, shut down. It was no longer politically um, or personally expedient (laughs) 
to be mm-hmm. Catholic. So, um, you know, and then, then it was very like common for people to not want the or to not look after the buildings. So people in the area would be like, I could go to a quarry and make my own bit of stone that I can build a house with, or I can go take this brick stone oh, yeah. and using it to build. Um, I don't know that I would necessarily call that looting. Um, I mean, it's looting in a, not for the historical significance, but it's just looting material. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's done by the same community that used to have the building and, you know, a lot of this happened within kind of five, 10, 20 years of, you know, it's not like hundreds of years later. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you do get that, that sort of thing. Um, and it, it is people looking to get value and the value at, at that point might be just not having to spend the time to, you know, go mm-hmm. to the quarry and, uh, well, quarry it or pay for all it. The- marble from the Colosseum being taken at, during the medieval period and just being used to like build apartments and stuff and so it's like all the nice marble is gone and all we have left are the brick and so it's just yeah why why let the nice material just sit around and yeah. crumble when you could build things with it. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Woohoo! <laughs> um, but you know this this does go on kind of in in modern times as well, and the the case that's been in the news recently, which we will link to, um, as always, is um, Malaysian authorities. Did in uh, I think it was May, yeah, the end of May. Uh, but they detained a Chinese flagged cargo ship. Um, that was in the Malaysia's uh, exclusive economic zone and and didn't have authorization to anchor in those waters. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time that this detainment happened, there were also kind of ongoing reports that there was, has been like salvaging of World War II uh, era shipwrecks in that bit of water. And then when the ship was detained, they found um, old steel and cannon shells mm-hmm. that um were from one of the, uh, like, there are the two british two british ships i was just looking for the name of them the hms prince of wales and the hms repulse mm-hmm. yeah which were sunk uh december 10th 1941 two days after the attacks on pearl harbor um and they are uh, they're classified as war graves, right? The the men who were on them. There were 842 men who died uh, between the sinking of those ships. And they are classified as war graves. And if you're down there, if you're at a gravesite. Mm-hmm. Um, so That's true for a lot of the World War II shipwrecks throughout that entire area. Not just the ones off of the Malaysian coast. It's that whole area, Japanese ship, Dutch ships, American ships, most of them are considered war graves. Yeah. And and it, this is not the first time looting um, of war graves has happened for, you know, salvage material. Um, in 2017, um, 
there were, uh, so the law gets a little bit tricky. Basically it is, there isn't like a necessarily ongoing monitoring happening. Mm -hmm. um, it's like periodic monitoring. So like in 2017, there was a Dutch, British and US monitoring that happened in the Java Sea. And there were four ships, two Dutch and two British that the previous time people had been there and had looked for the ships, they were there and they are completely gone, right? They, they've been salvaged to nothing. All of the metal has been. There's um, nothing left, literally yeah. nothing left, which um, is absolutely bizarre because um, the divers were going to put uh, commemorative plaques um, down on the ships as part of a way to, you know, commemorate the dead. Um, I think it was, I can't remember which anniversary it was of the battle there, but so that was the intent was to put the plaques down there. They go and the ships are gone. They've been completely yeah. salvaged. Um, you know, and there are some people who are like, oh, but it's, you know, we're like reclaiming scrap metal so we don't have to get it again. But it is also grave robbing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there are, you know, service, servicemen and women who you know, from World War II who have, who have asked to have their ashes scattered over those sites so that they can lay with their, you know, fallen comrades. Mm -hmm. um, so, so it is kind of removing that, um, which is problematic. Um, the other thing that they found with the, the two ships that were recently um, detained is that intact gun shells were recovered um so there's a, a question of whether there's also you know is this, is this just like scrap battle for resale but are they also looking for intact things um that could be sold as trophies um and one of the like really disturbing things about this is that at least for me historically human remains have been used as trophies um and i actually haven't seen any any articles that talk about like what they think has happened to the human remains of all of the people who were down there. Uh, well, one of the things, I mean, they don't know if they're being sold, but it sounds like when these large pieces of metal are taken out and the way apparently it's being done, like they're these large claws essentially coming from the ship in large chunks of the hull, it gets ripped apart and, um, the metal's then taken up and then taken to a scrapyard and then they are broken down into smaller pieces to then sell. And as the um, holes and uh, these large pieces of metal are being broken apart, the workers are finding bones in mm. the metal, twisted in with the metal. Um, and I think it was uh, one of the articles that I was looking at, it said it was a uh, scrapyard in Indonesia and um, the workers, they would just collect the bones. Somebody else would take them. And it's thought, they're not 100% sure, that they're being just tossed into a mass grave. Um, and so there is that kind of flip side of not only is this salvage, yeah, and with the grave robbing, it's just like a mishandling of, and disrespectful um, handling of human remains. Yeah. So... It's really not great. <laughs> yeah. Very um, bad. On many levels. So, like I said, this, you know, this is not unique. Um, it's not kind of a, a one-off. When you start looking at, at the international laws I mentioned a bit earlier, it is also 
it's a bit like mercurial or like a amorphous kind of murky um because in theory it is the responsibility of the flag of the vessel mm-hmm. um to make sure that that vessel is not engaging in in illegal activity um so in the case of the uh, the ship that was recently detained in Malaysia, um, that was a Chinese flagged ship. So it is China's responsibility to make sure that, um, you know, the ship is not engaging in in this illegal activity. Um, you know, but the wrecks are, you know, like whose water are they in? Is it international water? Is it an exclusive economic zone? Does it belong to a particular country? Do they have any, um, any right or any wherewithal there? And then, you know, what is the flag of the ship that sank? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, does, does Britain have a right so fast. to stop people from doing this to British ships? Um, if they're in international waters, do they have a right to stop people if they're in Malaysian waters? You know, what does that do to like current, like modern political understandings to have another country um, operating and trying to enforce, you know, the laws that they want kind of attributed to their, um, their war graves um, in a country that, that isn't theirs. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause yeah, I mean, I think technically, like you're saying, if the ship is in international waters, it is the, the ship, like you said, when it sank, who did it belong to? And whoever it belonged to, then it's the responsibility of that country for the protection and maintenance and whatnot of that ship. As soon as it's in a, like the economic zone, technically then it is part of that country's enforcement to be able to do something about it. But are they economically able to, politically able to, or is there like, you know, colonial overtones of like the British saying to uh, the Malaysian government, you have to do this. Um, And then there's the uh, UN um, treaty that needs to be ratified by more countries. I'm looking for it. Yeah. The UNESCO Convention on the Protection of the Underwater Cultural Heritage Um, and Mm -hmm. whether or not um, it all depends too. Are are there countries that belong to that? So if the country that is the economic zone, if they don't belong to that, then are they do they have to protect those shipwrecks? And, you know, people may not have the same attitude that we need to protect these shipwrecks or that they are actually considered war graves. Um, so there's a, there's a lot there than just this is wrong, which it is. But then you have so much with the political and ownership side of things that there's a lot of moving pieces that there really isn't one good way to say do X, Y, and Z to prevent X, Y, and Z. And then how do you then convict and prosecute it? And even if they are war graves, are they graves on the side that you fought in or are they the mm. graves of people that you fought against and you thought were in the wrong and therefore you don't have that same sort of, um, you know, like emotional or cultural yeah. attachment or you, you do see them as very much like the imperial or colonial aggressors. Um, and to be clear, World War II ships are... Um, popular because they're made of a lot of metal which does survive um and it it's valuable metal um because I, thought, it, I thought this was part was fascinating with like the metal itself is pre-nuclear 
age metal. Yeah, it was it was forged before um, the nuclear bombs went off. So it um, it has like unique properties that we basically can't recapture now. Um, and it's really important for like accurate measurement and some scientific tools. So um, it, it is this kind of like unique and special and valuable, um, you know, but, but it isn't just, you know, World War II era airships. Like we, we see looting happening on older ships as well. Um, cannons, mm-hmm. right, are like a, a good source of, of metal. You know, and, and it was not uncommon for people who looted objects to um, melt things down. So, like, the Danish museum had um, some golden horns that got stolen in, like, the 1800s and probably just melted down and turned into gold because the value of gold was such that, you know, their historical significance was not worth as much at that point in time. Um, so... Yeah, it's not just like the World War II era ships, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. It's pretty much if it's metal or precious metals, there's a high likelihood that if it's valuable, people are probably going to want to take it for one reason or another um, for, you know, modern day recycling into other materials. What's interesting, I mean, we definitely see this historically as well, like in a more bizarre format, you can think of... um, how there was like a weird craze of like using Egyptian mummies in medicine and as fertilizer. Uh, and in paint and it was supposed to cure impotence. Oh my God. So, I mean, (laughs) very strange, but I mean, this isn't an uncommon thing to use like past materials for modern purposes. doesn't make it okay, but it's just, it's something that's been done and you see the economic side of it. Like people are trying to make money, but it doesn't necessarily excuse the the behavior. Yeah. And and particularly when we're looking at like human remains, um, some of it just comes from like, like othering. Like, oh, well, that, that's like, like not my past, right? Or not like my oh, people, yeah. my ancestors, my... Um, whatever and, and and like in the case of the mummies it's very much like a, a colonial empire oh yeah um go other places extract extract resources um and and what those resources meant to the people who lived there wasn't really considered mm-hmm. um even even the designation of them as a resource instead of you know a whole ass human who deserves respect <laughs> dead dead or alive uh, <laughs> like yeah um but it doesn't you know, and, and like the, oh sorry go ahead oh and i mean there's there's other conversations that happen like in modern day um you know con- conservation because obviously when you're doing conservation and preservation you want to use as close to the original materials as possible but like you don't really want to be using mummy brown paint. <laughs> um, so gross. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, do, and what do you do with that paint that does have bits of mummy in it? It's probably bits of various different mummies in it. Like, is that okay to showcase? Is that not okay to showcase? Because it 
is a human. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, if it's in a museum exhibit, it definitely would tell an interesting story about <laughs> human remains and treatment of human remains throughout time. Yeah. Well, and then there's also, you know, a, a whole question that I know we've touched on in other episodes around, like, should human remains be showcased? On display, yeah. In museums. Uh, what about looted objects and artifacts? Um, you know, there's a big bit of the Louvre, a big bit of the British Museum um, that was, you know, funded by looting that happened on, on military campaigns, um, mm-hmm. which is an entire conversation in and of itself, which I think we should come back to. In our next segment and maybe we'll talk a, a bit more about historical looting um both during the empire and colonial areas and and maybe a, a viking example too because i can't go a podcast episode without bringing up the vikings vikings <laughs> see you after the break looking for other archaeology podcasts there's so many to choose from why not try archie fantasies and bust myths surrounding ancient finds and people or learn about the study of animal bones and archie animals there's also the great go dig a hole and the arc and anth podcasts don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the women in archaeology podcast and all of these fun archaeology podcasts that are available on itunes spotify all over the place thanks for listening Hi, and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. So far on today's episode, we have been talking about looting for um, kind of treasure or to have something old, as well as looting for salvage. Um, And as promised in our third and final segment for the day, we will be talking about historical looting. Um, So we did finish the last segment kind of talking about about museums. and displaying, you know, looted, looted objects, um, mm-hmm. and whether or not you know it, um, a lot of objects in museums come from uh, military conquest. That was like a very common thing for people um, to do when, you know, like the British Army went and ravaged somewhere. The, you know, the Napoleon Army went and mm-hmm. beat somebody. They would, uh, you know, take take their things and bring them back as a way of showcasing how great and wonderful they were and, you know, showcasing all the bits of the world that they'd been to and that they'd conquered. Um, and also it, um, kind of the destruction and removal of cultural heritage is also used, um, and classified actually by UNESCO, I believe it is, uh, crime. you know, it's a, yep. the Hague, the world court. Um, yeah, the world court, the Hague and yeah, the UNESCO world heritage sites. Yeah. It's all, all a war crime. Yeah, um, and we'll link to an episode where we talked about um, a case of um, a recent case where someone is actually found guilty for destruction of um, cultural heritage as a war crime. Um, so there, you know, there are a couple different reasons that you would do it, and also to be clear, like it was um, you know emissaries and higher ups, but it was also soldiers who, a lot of times after a battle, soldiers get turned loose a little bit to like run off the rest of their energy. And lots of bad things happen, including looting. Mm-hmm. Um, but many, many other bad things happen to the locals. Um, Looting's just part of it, unfortunately, It's it sounds like. But yeah, if you look at historical accounts, it's pretty depressing. But 
or I guess since we're focusing on the looting side of things, um, I mean, just some of the most famous examples are the Elgin marbles um, from Greece. And they were um, on top of the, the Acropolis and am I saying the right word? Acropolis? Yes. Parthenon. Nope. Parthenon. Parthenon. Thank you. Um, It's like Pantheon. No, Parthenon. No, it's the Parthenon. Yeah. Thank you. Um, And, uh, the this incredible temple was partially blown up by the british and then um these life-size giant marbles um uh, statuary and everything then were shipped back off to britain by lord elgin and uh, they are now still in the british museum and greece has asked for let's see but it'd be like 200 years now to be like, can we please have these back? And it's been the constant, like, well, no, we, we have a better museum. We have a um, better way of showcasing these. And that's been a major issue for a lot of artifacts that were taken during that period of time, during pretty much the, you know, Napoleonic wars. Um, What did we have? The, the, French found the Rosetta Stone. There's tons of Egyptian artifacts from their campaigns in Egypt. Um, yeah, so the, the British Museum, who is like benefited from, um, you know, because a lot of these collections were donated um, to start the British Museum and, and to continue it. But I mean, they've got the Benin Bronzes, which we talked about in our um, best of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, episode because a lot of those have been um, repatriated not from the British Museum <laughs> yeah it's mostly but, other countries doing the repatriation of yeah the bronzes yeah. and um, we'll talk about why that is a, in a minute um, they also have a lot of human remains they've got the Magdala collection um, which is a collection of artistic images from Ethiopia um, they've got um Easter Island statues and some other objects. And there's Parthenon sculptures that Emily mentions. Um, they've got some Aboriginal objects from Australia and New Zealand. Um, and they also have, and you know, we'll link to this page um, in the show notes. They have something that they have just labeled as 1933 to 45 provenance, which is basically anything the Nazis stole. Oh, that's fun. Um, so a lot of the objects in this collection predate that that time period but the nazis also really liked looting things oh. um which i feel like is probably like the least of their crimes right genocide mm. <laughs> way worse um that's a whole other episode too we've got <laughs> oh man we've got a lot of topics to explore we do um and i mean uh, just like also how many modern day movies and tv shows just the like Nazi train of objects that was looted and was never found. Um, and, and there's been a, issues, if you've ever watched the, there's a Klimt painting um, mm. that there was a movie about. It was the woman, the, port- the woman in gold, yeah? The woman in gold, that's it. Um, the portrait of Adele, Adele Block. Um, anyways, it's a great, it's a great film, but it talks about and looks at kind of a lot of museums that have objects from Nazi collections that they were from stolen from Jewish families. um, And they're not always keen to give them back to the families um, because they bought them. So they're theirs, even though they bought, you know, stolen (laughs) illegal goods. Um, But they spent money on them. They don't want to give them back. 
So this is not just a British Museum problem, to be to oh be perfectly gosh, clear. Yeah. The Met is a huge culprit in this right now, too. Yeah. Um, but, but one of the things that kind of buoys the British Museum and it's saying that it won't is in 1963, um, the British Museum Act was created. Um, and you can get into the, you know, the legalese if you want to. But the long story short um, is that that act, which was passed um, by the government, uh, makes it illegal for that that museum to give looted and stolen treasures back to the people. Um, what? That we stole them from. Yeah, there is there is a whole like, like it is the job of the stuff, and now we can't give it back because. It's against the law. And it's like, that sounds, you know, like you can't make a law for that. <laughs> Altered the composition of the trustees, gave them some new trustee powers. I've just pulled the, the document up. Um, well, uh, what takes precedence then? The, the local law or the international law? Because they so, are British, are part of the UN. So the, I mean, the, I think Britain makes the argument that like this law takes precedence. Hmm. Um, so the, there's two, uh, there's three things. So like you, it says disposal of objects. The trustees of the British Museum may sell, exchange, give away, or otherwise dispose of objects vested in them and comprised in their collection if the object is a duplicate of another object. So basically it's not special enough <laughs> that we, you know, if we have the only one, we're not giving it away. Um, so there's only one Elgin marble. Yeah. The object appears, uh, although uh, there's been some movement of Greece being like, we will literally pay for duplicates to be made, like modern, but like perfect replicas. And you can display the replicas and, and do that, which like the British Museum is keen on. Um, the second provision, though, is the object appears to the trustees to have been made not earlier than the year 1850 and substantially consists of printed matter of which a copy made by a ph photography or a process akin to photography is held by the trustees so like anything pre-1850 is like not eligible for being gotten rid of and then this bit about printed matter um or if the it is the opinion of the trustees that the object is unfit to be retained in the collection of the museum and can be disposed of without detriment to the interests of students but basically anything that the the trustees of the British Museum say, no, this is potentially interesting to a student or a researcher or an academic. Uh, we can keep. And in point of fact, we have a, a responsibility not to get rid of it because we will preserve it for the future and we can learn more about it. And like, yeah, it's like a whole thing. It's also the document that separated the British Museum from the Natural History Museum, which has its own issues. Hmm. Huh. Yeah. So it's really it's up to the trustees at the end of the day to say whether or not it's illegal to return something. Yeah, and the and the trustees very much are we will take the better care of it, and it's that you don't have a temperature and humidity controlled building. So then you see, you know, places that spend millions of pounds building a state of the art museum so that you know the objects are in a temperature and humidity controls and they go back and then the british museum is like mm, still don't want to exactly that's pretty much seems to be the argument it's like yeah it's ours yeah possession is nine tenths of the law 
Um, and legally, that may be true, like morally and ethically. But I mean, and, and like you said, it's, it's hardly just an issue with the, the British Museum. I mean, this has been an issue for the Metropolitan Museum in New York City, um, where it's been discovered several times over that there are looted objects there um, from collections that from uh, private collections that were um, very clearly from looted sites um, and issues of repatriation and that kind of thing. The laws are different in the United States. I mean, there has been a, a big, big push back and forth. I mean, funding is always an issue with the Native American Grace Protection Repatriation Act for returning, repatriating, et cetera, um, human remains and funerary objects and objects of like ceremonial um, cultural significance uh, to the descendants uh, of, of the objects and tribes, et cetera. But um, there's been reticence from a lot of places like universities. Um, so if you receive federal funding, you have to follow that law. And so um, universities, museums, small collections, everything. And it's, it, it's been sometimes a struggle to get people to um, repatriate because they're like, but, but science, it's like, you've had these for these remains for what, a hundred some years. I think, I think you well didn't have the right to them in the first place, but it's like, mm, you're good. It's time to give them back. Yeah. Um, I mean, NACRA was enacted in 1990, so that was 33 years ago. Um, and, and the fact that it's been 33 years and there are still remains that haven't been repatriated um, is kind of shocking. Uh, to be, like, fair is probably the, the wrong word, but to, like, I've known some people who do repatriation work, and they are generally like wonderful and, uh, and amazing people mm -hmm. um you do run into issues with provenance of mm -hmm. you've got bones and you don't know where they came from because the tag may literally say the west yep um so then how how do you identify which tribe to return them to mm -hmm. does the tribe still exist which is a very sad one mm -hmm. um yeah, there's usually two sides of that where, yeah, like you said, there are people doing the repatriation, like doing the work. There, It's hard, hard work. But you get the flip side of sometimes the keepers of said remains saying, like, well, I don't even, like, these remains are too old. They couldn't possibly belong to, you know, the descendants of Native American, like, prehistoric Native Americans. They could possibly, like, um, I don't care what your DNA is studies say Catawick man exactly so there's like there's the flip side of that but yeah i should you're you're totally right give props to the people who are working really hard to try to do the right thing yeah um but also like it it's been 33 years yeah I know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's but, that, but with the british museum that's fascinating i did not know there was an actual like law on the books that it's like we it, legally we can't even give things back and so that actually provides a lot of context to me like why can't they just give these things back um to begin with but it it's fascinating too that it's just like for building international relationships you think you know, you know it's like just just give x y and z back i don't know there's just the whole um 
imperialistic vibe of certain things. It's just, it's crazy how a lot of this is still going on in many Sometimes it feels a little bit to me like we, as long as we still have this, you have to be nice to us if you want any chance of getting Ah. it back. So it seems like a, like it's definitely a political play. And and again, like this is not new, right? So we're going to talk about Vikings because (laughs) (laughs) I like talking about the Vikings. This, uh, this, our delightful rant for today with Vikings. Yeah. So, um, uh, plundering and looting graves for political reasons is not new. So, um, there are several ship burials from the Viking Age. Um, the Oseberg being kind of the, and Bokstad actually as well, being some of the like most famous, but there are other ones as well. Um, and a lot of these ship burials were very uh, kind of around the same time um in Norway um and interestingly they have uh almost all also been broken into and looted um and the looting does appear to have happened at around roughly the same time which is again allowing for the fact that um the you know interments happens not at the exact same time but you know over a course of decade so um they were looted about um a century later um so when they were broken into the ships were defaced um the grave goods were damaged and pulled out they dispersed the bones of the deceased we also don't find a lot of metal in these um ships Mm -hmm. so there's one idea that the you know any like swords or weapons or jewelry may have been removed either as as trophies or to showcase like I have this thing and therefore I'm powerful or to, you know, melt down um, and reuse the metals from them. Um, and it, the break-ins happened in the 10th century um, during the rule of Harold Bluetooth, um, who you may know from Bluetooth speakers. <laughs> um, but he, he, you know, did this extensive campaign um, where he wanted to convert Christians to uh, Scandinavians to Christianity, and he, you know, wanted to subdue local populations, and he wanted to be much more of a, you know, a country level ruler rather than like a, a local ruler. And part of this was destroying and looting local monuments. Um, to showcase like the power that that he had over them because they were still very important places in the landscape. Um, so desecrating them and looting them and removing and or moving around their the deceased within them was a um, was a powerful way of him to showcase his uh, power both politically and militarily um, and to break kind of the the spirit of the locals and it's it's not very nice. Um, <laughs> say the least <laughs> you know but but that has that story has played out time and time and time again with you know conquering um, imperialistic uh, colonial mm-hmm. forces who go in and take what they want um, and might does not always equal right that is true and at the end of the day, just don't do it. Just just don't. Just stop it. 
Yeah. And if you have inadvertently done it, send it back. Exactly. Repatriation's a good thing. Absolutely. Bye, everyone. (laughs) The more you know. (laughs) (laughs) So that uh, does bring us to the end of our um, end of our episodes. Uh, I think final thoughts are don't pick things up yourself. Don't buy um, you know, looted objects. If you're interested in kind of what you can do to help, we will link to that episode that's on Yates where we talk um, a bit more about some of the laws around it as well as um, things you can do. But the best thing you can do is to, to not inadvertently loot and um, don't reward people who do. Hooray! Uh, <laughs> on that note, thanks so much for listening to uh, today's episode. Um, a massive thank you to all of our Patreon sponsors. You um, do enable us to pay the fees to, you know, keep recording um, and keeping the website up. So we really, really appreciate that. If you would like to join our Patreon family, um, you can find us on patreon.com at Women in Archaeology Podcast. Um, We do also love hearing from you. So please do visit us at uh, womeninarchaeology.com. You can also find us on Twitter. Yes, we're still there. We know it's imploding at Women Archies. We are on Mastodon as well, Mastodon Social, under Women Archies. You can find us on Facebook at Women in Archaeology Podcast, and you can email us at womeninarchaeologypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. See you later. Bye!